0: Welcome, Tethered Nation. This is your number one saddle hunting resource the original ultralight saddle hunting system. We started it, you get to enjoy it.
1: Cool. Did you just turn it on like the clapper? Yeah, the clapper. <laughs> 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 clap on. Clap now you turned it off. <laughs>
2: Everything works on a clapper, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, apparently. Yeah.
2: So we're here in the. Uh, in Minnesota, Tethered HQ for the the totally terrific Tethered Tallywag Part Two, second annual, <laughs> and we got a whole bunch of cool people here. So we decided we'd get on and do a podcast and uh, see if maybe we could help some people out, learn some things about hunting, and have a little bit of fun. So we could go around the table and just introduce ourselves and John Eberhardt. Nice to meet you, people out there. Garrett Prowl, Ernie Power, Greg Godfrey,
1: Jared Schaefer.
3: Andy May.
2: Yeah. So we're up here. We've just been doing a lot of uh, a lot of BSing, a lot of bow shooting. <laughs> uh, Andy has done very well with the bow shooting. So has Jared actually. Jared, you could talk about your shooting here. We'll let you talk about it. But I have been right. actually very impressed. I thought you were gonna be really bad Why? because, of, because <laughs> of your system. Because Nobody of your system. Trusts your so, system. so explain Nobody your system it. and then and and let me preface it with you have shot
0: really really good at lots of distances so let's let's go back to why i made this change so last year in missouri we were down there hunting the whole crew on like the second day or something i had a really nice buck come in and i knew it was going to be iffy on if i was going to get a shot or not because it was so dark he walks into range 24 yards draw back i can see him with my naked eye and i cannot see him through my peep sight so That has haunted me ever since that hunt, so I decided to make a change, and early this spring, I took the peep sight out of my bow, and I've just got the BOMAR nose button, which is like a, it's basically a kisser button for your nose, and uh, I put that on there, I took the peep out, and I'm shooting better than ever, so I'm really, Mm. I'm really happy with it. Yeah, and you are shooting really good. Yeah, I mean, I think I am, so.
1: Well, and, and we're not talking 20 yards here. Some of the targets we've been shooting at this week yeah. are over 60 yards, and you're hanging in with everybody.
0: Yeah, so I'm happy with it, and I'm excited to uh, to see what happens this year. Um, hopefully, Hopefully it works out. As soon as I miss a deer using it, then – I'll go back to a peep sight, <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's not for everybody
2: because there's another fella here. Uh, his name is Carl, and he can't hit the broadside of the ah, yeah. barn without a peep sight. <laughs> we love you, Carl. <laughs> We're looking at Carl over there, and he's mad now.
0: <laughs> what
4: size yeah. peep did you have?
0: Uh, like three sixteenths. Oh, so better. not a huge peep, but yep. you know I'd tried the quarter inch, and I, I don't know. I just never liked a big peep, and. I always had trouble lining up everything. The how? Cause so I like why to not
1: just make it infinitely big? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It just felt natural to me, and I like it, and it's working good. So I'm going to keep on rocking it. Well, it is working. Well, it's working really well. Yeah. So I was. I know that you're a really good
2: shot, and I've seen you shoot before, and I know that you're a really accurate shooter. So I figured, you know, he'd probably be okay, flat. You know, no pressure, flat. However, you were shooting, we set up the tree in the back, and we've been shooting out of the saddle at awkward angles, up and down hills, and still drilling it.
1: On our knees, on our butts, like all kinds of weird angles. We basically played horse last night with the targets, (laughs) and uh, yeah, he's hanging in there good.
2: Yeah, Andy basically set up like a total archery challenge course for us. (laughs) It's basically what we did, right? I mean, it was just different shots around (laughs) some up to 60 yards, and... Uh, I believe team
0: Wuhan beat team, team USA Wuhan. We did. team Wuhan That's right. yeah <laughs> well Ernie was on our team too so mm-hmm. and you gotta mention Huck hey, Garrett. Man. wasn't Huck Garrett the, too Huck yep. won the money yeah Garrett too so <laughs> the winners right here yeah. yeah I was the only team USA and, uh, <laughs> and then, and then you Huck ba- shows up you with, out before the tournament was yeah. over <laughs> <laughs> well you knew you were gonna
1: lose yeah, I knew was I was sweet. gonna lose if I can't win I'm
2: not gonna play
1: man well, and then Huck shows up with his Walmart arrows and his bow that he bought at a garage sale. And he's the one that hit the... We had a $100 bill folded up into a one-inch square and stuck on the vitals of a 3D target at 57, 57. yards. And he had to shoot it out of a saddle From on a, a saddle. platform, elevated. And uh, we were upstairs making food. And he says, hey, I know it's inconvenient, <laughs> but I'm going to go down there and win that 100 bucks real quick. And he walked down, grabbed his bow, cold, took one shot, one shot. center-punched the $100 bill, came back up, helped make dinner. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and he didn't even have a pin, right?
1: No, no. He had a 40-yard pin, and he shot this 60-yard shot without a – yeah, he just – whatever. It's <laughs> huck.
2: He, he actually said he was just trying to hit the deer. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> he, he did miss, the he did miss it the three or four times the after that. that
2: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah so I've really enjoyed that I wish I'd have brought my bow I didn't get my bow up here so I've been kind of well you'll know for next year playing around um, it's been really fun. It's cool to shoot with people that are really good like Garrett and Andy and and Jared because it it helps me get better so that well, and ki- Andy's
1: been critiquing form and helping people yeah. just I mean it's Andy he helps people but yeah
2: and I'm not a great shot I just flat out not I mean so it's good to get around people that actually know what they're doing especially with a ladies' bow. With, with a lady's bow, yes. <laughs> There's probably some pictures out there. I had to shoot a, a lady's bow at like 40 pounds, like 24-inch draw length. <laughs> Which that's his normal almost, draw length anyway. So. I normally shoot 24 and a half, so it was, it it was, was a short, little short for me. It was about like 90 degrees. <laughs> yeah, but we made it work. Uh, but that kind of makes me think of the, one of the first things that I wanted to talk about is we're up here shooting right now in July – what are some of the things that hunters should be doing right now from your experience that will make them more successful come november what do you think andy
3: yeah during the summertime um i really focus on my archery just a lot of repetition um probably before this time i do a lot of tinkering and testing between different like arrow setups and configurations trying to see what i can be most accurate with but by this time, I like to settle in on something that's working the best for me, and then I start to really focus on repetition and building that muscle memory, um, starting to shoot it like we did yesterday and today, shooting at different angles, more hunting scenario-type shots, and just more real-world real hunting uh, situations just to kind of out of the saddle, that sort of thing. So you know, Or out of a tree stand if you're not a saddle
2: guy. Or out of a tree stand. Tree, like some, realistic stuff so
3: you're not shooting that shot for the first time when a deer walks by you know you've done it a hundred times throughout the summer Um, aside from the archery thing um, right around july is when i really try to start glassing for deer i'll start putting some cameras out right around this time too i don't put them out um, any earlier i I just doesn't really i don't see the benefit of it but right around this time through august i'll start putting cameras out and i when i have a free evening i'm out glassing for deer trying to find you know, two, three, four shooters, you know, all around my hunting area to, to try to zone in on those. Some of those disappear, uh, you know, you see them, you know, in bean fields and stuff in the summer, they might relocate two, three miles away. Other ones kind of stick in the same area, but it's just, for me in Michigan, it's just a numbers game, so I try to find, I don't know, three to four to five different bucks, and, and then I focus in on those, and those are the deer that I, that I try to hunt kind of early season through the beginning of the pre-rut you know that's I'm kind of focused on those areas and, and, and trying to zone in on where their core areas are once that happens uh, that time passed more of pre-rut and rut you know those deer are very unpredictable and then I'm more looking for just a any old mature deer um, I'll still I'll still hunt in those same areas but I'll, I'll go to you know different areas that just tend to be better pinch points and where some does are and whatnot but Right now, that's what I do. I spend a lot of time glassing and running cameras, and just trying more more of an inventory. So I just starting to kind of zone in on some certain particular deer and maybe some certain areas to focus in on the fall. And some of that pans out, some of it doesn't. But to me, it just it's just gives me a little bit of a a little bit of an edge. Um, and I don't know. That's that's pretty much what I do in the summertime.
2: Yeah. So you're just shooting inventory starting to deal with your trail camera strategy
3: yeah the majority of my majority of my like on the boots ground scouting was done i mean as soon as like the snow melted
0: yeah Yeah.
3: you know that's when i really like to get in there and dissect and really learn that the area but this time of year it's it's so green the signs hard to hard to to see um so if if i did it right all that stuff is done Freehand. And so now I'm, I'm doing more of the long distance scouting and trail camera work. Anybody else doing anything different?
2: Garrett, like I know me and you were going to meet Jared too. We're all going to go hunt North Dakota. So for the guy that's planning an out-of-state hunt, what should he be doing right now?
5: Well, certainly a lot of e-scouting. I mean, that's, that's the obvious place to start. Uh, Shane and I went and just the last weekend drove out to North Dakota and just did a boots on the ground scouting trip, which – in an ideal world, you know, we'd be doing what Andy's saying. We'd be going out there in, you know, March, April, once that snow is melted and then getting the, the info. But in a way, it's kind of nice this time of year, too, because you're, you're able to drive around and see what crops are growing in certain fields. Yeah. You're able to say, hey, this was an alfalfa field, but now it's a hay field this year. Or maybe there's canola grown in a field that had soybeans last year. Uh, so that's all good, helpful information to know. I, I don't like going in the woods just because, you know, it's hard to see sign. There's deer flies, mosquitoes. Yeah. I just feel alligators, like uh, alligators, and, and, snakes. Uh, and they could move. What you see now might be different than the opener. The nice thing about North Dakota is the opener so early, they might still be on those summer patterns. Uh, so we definitely still feel like we got some value in that out of state boots on the ground trip because it's so early. But if it was like a rut trip, like what we're playing for South Dakota, I'm not really planning on going out there this time of year. I feel like that is almost going to be better for me to just kind of, you know, Freelance, so to speak, and just learn as we go and just cover a lot of ground the first couple of days and just really just keep moving until we find good sign. Uh, so that's been basically all e-scouting and just trying to find as many high probability spots as we can. And then once we get there, we'll just, you know, start knocking them off and saying this no good, no good. Okay, here's here's a good sign. That's just kind of the plan for that for the out-of-state trip.
2: You know, what's funny about that is that when we were comparing each other's OnX maps yesterday for North Dakota, we had marked a lot of the same areas. Mm-hmm. So, and Garrett doesn't know this, but I took screenshots of all the ones that I didn't <laughs> mark. So he won't have any leg up on me when we go to North Dakota. Oh, that's funny. I'm pretty jacked about it. John, what about you? I mean, you've written books about preseason setup and speed touring and yeah. all of these things. So, I mean, what are you doing different than what most hunters are doing at this point in time? What's something that gave you a leg up that nobody else was doing?
4: Well, I is probably everybody knows, I do all my scouting and uh, location preparation January, February, March, like Andy said as soon as the snow melts. So, I've got about I probably got 45 locations prepped right now. And so right now I'm just shooting. You know, I started shooting about 2 weeks ago and just for the muscle memory part, because my shoulder is still a little bit messed up, but it's not going to affect my hunt this year. Uh, and then uh, then about September 20th, because in Michigan our season opens October 1, about September 20, I will do a speed tour in total scent lock of all of my early season hunting locations. I don't look at any of my rut phase locations, just early season locations, because they're typically at scrape areas, mast trees, fruit trees, and basically i go to see if they have mass production or fruit production or if the scrapes are active because a lot of times the crop rotations change where the scrape areas are and how active they are from one year to the next and uh because i go on september 20th what that does is the mature bucks if i if i want to kill a buck it's going to be rubbed out by september 5th probably at the latest because the bigger bucks rub out early so if there is or fruit at a location, there's typically, because there's doe traffic there, there's typically gonna be some sort of buck activity there as well. Because they typically prior, well before season, they've actually laid some of their dominance markers, whether it be rubs or scrapes or whatever, if it's at a location that's dropping mast or fruit, you know, where there's a lot of doe activity. So that's what I do. I do my speed tours. I'll usually have about 20 locations that I that I will hunt early season. When I say early season, I'm talking the first two or three days of the season, because typically where I hunt after the first, after the second or third day, everything's nocturnal. And typically, even before season, everything's nocturnal because where I hunt, there's always other people. Um, and typically, their pre-season scouting turns those bucks nocturnal, so it's almost a waste of my time. But I have killed three buck bucks. In the first couple of days of the season. But anyway, that's what the speed tours are for, is to just weed out those, you know, of those 20 locations. I weed out the ones that don't have buck activity at them, and I just hunt the ones that do have buck activity. And one so time you do whittle that back
2: down tour, to like a handful of spots?
4: Yeah, yep. I do the speed tours, and then I basically base where I'm gonna hunt them on the time of day. Obviously, at an apple tree, I'm not gonna hunt it in the morning because I'm spooking deer with my entry. Or at an oak, I'm typically not going to hunt it in the morning. That's going to be an evening spot. So uh, I, I after that speed tour, I kind of pick out my four or five favorite spots. They look the best, and that's what I hunt. But, but I don't you put will cameras. hunt in the morning, on in oh, early yeah, season. I will hunt in the morning. Okay. Yeah, it's going to typically be in a transition area close to a bedding area where they may be transitioning from a crop to a, a bedding area, but
2: it's got to have good transition security cover to the bedding area. Now, how are you managing those spots? You said you probably have 40 or 50 spots prepped right now. Is this just all sealed away in Eberhardt's mind, or do you oh, use no, a.
4: Just, I have books with everything's written down. I've been writing that stuff in books. Since the 70s. So you
2: use analog books, not yes. you're not using anything
4: digital or anything right. like that. Well, no, I've, I'm, I've been printing aerials now. Everything's on an aerial photo. I, <laughs> what he's asking, I do you use a mapping service like on your phone? <laughs> oh, board. I'm sorry. no, I, no. Or a spreadsheet or something like that. The only thing I use on that is like uh, if I'm sculpting, you know, property postseason and I see something that I want to prep that looks good. You know, I mark it as a waypoint on my Onyx. But, yeah. Uh, then I go back, and once I once I prep something, I I typically can find it. I gotta my retention is actually pretty bad, but when it comes to hunting
2: locations, <laughs> I can remember the place I've done anything. Well, the reason that I asked is because last night, uh, you know, me and Ernie, well, a lot of us went up and hunted Michigan last year yeah. during the public land challenge and stuff, and. You needed some help, and you were like, Greg, you know, give me some spots that I could go check out. And so That's I was right. sending you on X Pins last yes, night. Yes, you did. Absolutely. And I just not wanted not to be able to tell the out. world that you asked me for help. So, <laughs> and I thank you. That was a leading question. Yeah. Uh,
4: and I am definitely going to check those out. I don't think I will check those out this year. Because I don't like scouting during preseason, Too but late. I will probably—I not probably—I will guarantee you 100%. I will check those out after. Well, season. and you'll
1: be able to walk there because that lake will be frozen.
4: Well, yeah, but if it's frozen, there's going to be snow, and I never, I never postseason scout with snow on the ground ever, because the deer change their patterns when there's snow on the ground. Hmm. So I wait for it to melt, so
2: the lake won't be frozen. Probably at that time. <laughs> yeah i pretty much i'm doing the same thing like i just went out two weeks ago and put out a bunch of trail cameras i've got to put out a bunch more trying to get a couple of cell cell cameras i've never had a cell camera before Mm -hmm. so i'm pretty excited about that i hunt a lot on a river um it's just hard to get to so to go in the way i do it as i never go more than always less than 100 yards from the river that's just kind of my strategy is if i'm hunting a spot it's a pinch point generally on a river, you know, a big oxbow or something like that, or a point where I think some bucks might be bedded and I want it close. So I don't ever want to go in there and blow out that spot. So I only hunt those spots. I can only check the cameras when I hunt it. And I will only hunt a spot like that two to three times a season. So without cell cameras, that info doesn't help me at all this season. It only helps me next season. So I'm pretty excited about the cell cameras because it might give me maybe a little bit more of an edge. Uh, I'm hoping, but... I don't really know, but I'm gonna hopefully pick up some of those in, the, in in the next week or two, and then go put them out in the river. But I just put out some cameras, and I don't I didn't prep any trees this year. Uh, as far as preset trees, mm-hmm. I already have probably 15 prepped, and I won't I won't hunt any more than that. Any more preset trees, and, and I don't know anything. You're doing different. My biggest thing is shooting right shooting. now.
1: Um, I kind of put a lot of eggs in one basket this year. I'm going to Alaska for the first time. Yeah. And so for me, my biggest thing is it's going to be open terrain, random distances, lots of, you know, lots of things that I can't control. So if I can at least control my shooting and my form, that is going to give me some confidence in the deal. Um, I've never done a hunt like this before, so I'm I'm trying to at least eliminate one variable. and and for me the more shooting i can do during the summer the more confident i am later in the year regardless of other circumstances obstacles or whatever if at least i feel like i can make a shot it it's a
2: mental thing but it helps me out Mm. anything for you jared anything special
0: so this time of the year i'm like andy i'm just doing a lot of shooting just repetition start to work on hunting scenario type shooting I generally don't put any trail cameras out until mid July, late July. Then I kind of start, you know, trying to find a target buck or two to go after. Um, I'll start glassing where I can. It's kind of hard in the area that I'm in to, to glass just cause it's mostly, you know, woods and stuff like that. But I will glass, um, you know, get the trail cameras out in places that I've scouted, you know, back in January, February, March. So, um, I don't do a ton of preseason scouting. I'm just trying to, you know, get cameras out in the areas I've already looked at and then just try to find find something to go after. So, right now it's just a lot of shooting. And, uh, you know, I've already got my bow stuff figured out. I'm not making any changes from this point. So, I'm just – just repetition. Well, you're me. out of time too. Cause yeah, I'm out of well, time. We leave <laughs> in like two weeks. Yeah, so I'm going to Alaska with Ernie. So, I'm just – you know just been trying to get a lot of shooting in at longer distance just to get comfortable so
2: i guess the other thing that i should probably mention that i'm sure we're all doing it we just didn't really think about it because it's kind of a it's probably just second nature to all of us all of us but i'm also this time of year i'm looking at my gear i'm checking my ropes i'm putting on stealth strips to quiet things down i'm making sure everything works whether you hunt from a saddle or a ladder stand it doesn't matter you should be inspecting that stuff making sure it's safe it's uh it's usable um things like that i do that pretty much year round it's one of the things (laughs) that keeps me engaged in hunting year round is i'm constantly trying new things new ropes carabiners platform saddle all that stuff so we did a fair amount of that here this week playing around with some new toys and you know prepping some new stuff but i'm sure you guys are all doing the same stuff but
1: i actually keep a list right so over the course of a season, stuff goes wrong. You're like, okay, this situation didn't work. This situation didn't work. And I spend the next off-season fixing whatever it is that caused me troubles last year. And inevitably, something comes along next year that I missed. Yep. And So every year, I'm fixing stuff. Mm-hmm. And it could be the simplest thing. It could be, you know, I, I don't even know. It could be like your bowl made a noise on something or, or a knot. A got jammed up when you were trying to adjust little things, but you're like, okay, whatever that is, I don't want to mess with that problem next year. So I'm going to fix it this year.
2: Yep. Yep. That's a good point. I'm constantly, I'm constantly doing that as well. You don't want to find out about that stuff on opening day or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, on November 1st, because you didn't you didn't check the cables on your climbing tree stand and you go and get it out of the garage and they're broken. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't, or they're rusted or something like that. You well, don't want to do that.
1: And it's the assumptions that get you. So I, uh, I built an elk rifle a few years ago and went out on an elk hunt, and, Um, I had an elk that stepped out, uh, at a yardage that I had practiced with and done a lot of things, but I had switched up the scope on this rifle and, uh, I had the turrets and I had all the stuff. So, I mean, it, mechanically it should have all worked, but I went to dial up the turrets and I ran out of adjustment.
4: <laughs> oh, I remember that.
1: And it's just a dumbest thing. It's like, okay, next year I'm going to put a, a 20 MOA lifter on my rail so that I don't run out of adjustment. But I had to learn that lesson the hard way because there's an elk that I can't adjust <laughs> all of my stuff to to make a shot.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, well, I agree. Little things matter. Uh, any special hunts? You kind of talked about Alaska. I mean, what are you guys going to shoot in Alaska?
0: Yeah, we're going for caribou and whatever else we can find, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're there for two weeks, right? Yeah.
1: And so um, we're going with a couple of guys who really kind of know the area, and know what's going on. They've hooked us up with some, some nice opportunities. And uh, basically they said, you know, if we fill out early, well, we got two weeks. We can go try and do some spot and stock black bear hunting we can try and do a moose hunt. We can do whatever. I mean, we're just, it's going to be kind of a freelance, uh, just kind of go with the flow, whatever happens type of a hunt. We just have two weeks in Alaska to see what we can do.
2: Yep. (laughs) Hmm. Andy,
3: what's your, uh, your hunt calendar look like? I know you have some pretty exciting hunts lined up. Yeah. I got a, uh, an unexpected, uh, hunt. I applied for a high country mule deer in Nevada and I drew, um, that's going to be, um, early august actually it's the earliest tag available in the west right around the corner yeah Yeah, it's coming up yep so i'm I'm super pumped about that i've been applying for that tag for a while because most people know i work at a school system so once school starts like my out-of-state trips are have to be short they're usually two to four days because i'm (laughs) i'm using a weekend you know i I call in sick on a friday (laughs) you know Hunt. Hope the
2: school system's not listening. <laughs> well, hopefully not. Uh, yeah, I'll leave.
3: You know, I'll leave, drive all night Thursday, hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, drive all night back. That's usually what I do, or maybe I'll take the Monday or something. Um, but often I'll go twice. You know, I'll just take two or two two day, three day trips, something like that. But this starts so early; it's before I'm back to school, and it's so far. It's far, Yeah. yeah so it, you and it, it's it's a high country back country hunt. Um, you know, we're going to be in anywhere from five to eight miles, um, you know, is where some of the spots that I have picked out. But what's what's cool about it is in regards to my schedule is we're not back to school yet. So I can go with no pressure to, to, to get back. I can go and relax. It's a, one of the first times I've ever been able to do that nice. where I can go and devote the time that it actually, actually needs. And uh, so like I'm going
1: to. Like what a normal person would need or what Andy may need? <laughs> last year. <laughs> most of your three-day hunts were like a day and a half
3: <laughs> two days <laughs> yeah well this is, i think this is gonna be a little trickier hunt i really do i think it's gonna be a difficult and it's gonna it's gonna require some time so i'm leaving on the 7th the, the season starts on the 10th so we're gonna get there you know a, a couple days early so i can, we can hike back in set up camp and, and start scouting um and then yeah we're gonna have a substantial amount of time to to try to get it done um Aside from that, I was really lucky, and I drew well—not lucky. I was knew I was going to draw it, but my Iowa tag finally. Yeah, because yep. you paid like twenty five thousand dollars. That's for right. Tag <laughs> after your preference points, <laughs> yeah. and we were talking about that earlier. By the time you do the math, it's expensive tag. It's yeah. very expensive. It's it's more expensive than my out west tags. It's crazy. I mean, with, yeah. when you consider everything, it's getting to be really pricey. But you know, I love Iowa, um, so I'm really pumped about that. That'll be. That'll be a rut hunt. Um, I think I'm gonna try. I've never done it this early, but I think I'm gonna try like a late October short two, three day hunt. Um, try to beat maybe the, the non resident crowd. Um, I mean it's not crowded, but I, I'm just curious if I I think if I can get on a really good deer or catch a visual during that time, I got a really good chance at them. Where, where when I usually go like you know in November, it's more. Like a numbers game, I'm seeing a lot of bucks, and I'm I'm looking for just some random buck. But I feel like if I get on a really good one in that late October time frame, I got a really good chance at that particular deer. So I'm gonna try it out, and see how it works. But I'm gonna devote some time to that tag, maybe two, as up as many as three trips, but they're gonna be like three days max. Um, and then I got the normal Michigan and Northern Ohio. That's usually my what I consider my home turf. Yeah. Um, then I think, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go back to Nebraska. Um, I had an elk hunt planned. It's still up in the air, but my partner um, got COVID uh, three months ago and he's still kind of dealing with the after effects and he... You know, that, that Colorado hunt is just so physically taxing and he's just, he's having, uh, you know, some heart issues and some lung issues. I just don't think it's a good idea. So I think I'm gonna replace that with Nebraska. And then, I don't know, uh, you know, usually if, if tags get filled, I'll throw something else in there. I've been to Maryland, um, you know, something like that. But that's, that's pretty much what my season is kind of looking like at this point. So, What are you doing to prep for that Iowa hunt? So I already went down there. I, I, I go down to Iowa every year, even when I don't. Every, every year? Every year, yep, because I, I, I really like scouting down there. So I go down. I've pretty much walked every piece of property in my zone um, that's public. So nice. I know them.
2: Man, that's smart. Yeah, I yep. know
3: them. I, you know, I just, I'll take a two-day trip, a three-day trip, but I have a lot of money invested in this, into this tag. So I want to put myself in the, in the best type of situation as possible. So I, I, I like to f- scout all those areas and really narrow down to like two or three particular areas where I have the most confidence in. So any, any out-of-state hunt, if I can, I like to get boots on the ground. I really like to do that, especially if it's a rut hunt. I really like to, to get out there and see it and read the sign. If it's an early season hunt, like a Kentucky or like this Nevada hunt, preseason scouting doesn't do me so, so much good. You know, it's going to be more of like long-distance scouting just prior to the hunt, a lot of glassing. Like when I go to Kentucky, I go two days before the season, I'm glassing bean fields secluded corners, low spots and fields away from access points, away from roads. So, going down there beforehand for an early season hunt doesn't make much sense to me. I got to be there real time. So, I'm trying to get that information real time, but a rut hunt, that signs easily visible. So, I I I'm at my best when I can get out there beforehand and kind of read the sign. That'll kind of put me in the positions where I think I have the best chance. So, this Ohio the, the Iowa tags, you know, it's a great tag to get. So with just everything invested in it, I want to put the time that it deserves. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and is that going to reflect in your goals for the hunt as far as an animal? I'm sure, I'm assuming you're looking for an old mature animal. Sure. Yeah. I'm always looking for a mature animal. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of a score guy. I, you're you right. know, if I, if I see a giant gnarly five point that looks like he's six, seven years old, I'm shooting that thing. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't <laughs> care what he scores. Um, But, you know, when you go down there, just coming from where I'm from where John's from, like, there's there's a legitimate chance of a much higher scoring deer than what we're used to seeing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when I'm down there, it's much more likely for me to pass, like, a 130 or 140, you know, on day one or day two. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would do that probably. But... You know, I'm a sucker for big, gnarly, old, unique racks, you know, something with a big frame. It, you know, it doesn't have to have a lot of points or score that high, but if it's unique and it's an old deer, you know, that's usually good enough for me. So, yeah. I <laughs> Didn't think you that's shoot fair. like
1: a real nice six-point or something like that last year? In, In Maryland. Like, yeah.
3: In Maryland, yeah. Big, big, giant six-point. It was a super unique buck, an yeah. old deer. Um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Nice. Garrett, what about
2: you? I know you're going quite a few places as well.
5: Yeah, probably – this year more different states and different hunts than I've probably done in one year in the past Uh, so because of that I'm trying to manage my expectations for each of those accordingly because I'm not going to be able to hunt many states as well as if I hunted fewer states and just put more time into those fewer states but North Dakota for their opener and then this year Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota's openers are offset by week usually they're the same day so I'll hit Wisconsin's opener when they open and then the week after I'll hit Minnesota hard with extra daylight i'll just try and get as much early season good hunts as i can in those states and then just kind of do whatever until the rut once the rut hits south dakota then straight to missouri and then maybe a few days to recover uh there's a wisconsin gun season that i will typically go do because that's its own tag and then iowa shotgun tag i applied for that this year and the reason that i didn't just put in for a preference point and try get an archery tag is you know, I kind of always had the dilemma of, do I want to hunt Iowa and not hunt all these other states during the rut? So I just decided, okay, well, I'm going to hunt South Dakota, Missouri during the rut. And then in December, I'll go down to Iowa and just see what happens. Uh, so it'll give me a little bit of a break after the rut to recover for a few days and then go down and hit that that hunt. So that'll be, you know, a unique experience. I haven't done a December gun hunt like that. So it'll be it'll be new. I'll try and talk to as many people as i can to learn as much as i can about how those hunts typically go what to expect uh, if i can make a scouting trip down there i'd like to um, but i've already been doing a lot of e-scouting for it and then probably by the time that's done i'll be pretty worn out i think yeah <laughs>
2: that's a full that's a full
1: schedule yeah
5: it wears on you yeah it wears yeah. on you
1: and especially where we live up here i get tired of the cold i mean ultimately if you're doing wisconsin rifle that's a zero to 15 below week it generally is um, Minnesota's cold,
2: and that's cold. <laughs> that's too cold for me. <laughs> it's stupid
1: cold. I, yeah. Um, I actually, there was a year that it was 15 below with wind for the opener, and I know a lot of people who didn't hunt opener. They just went and they it was. It was like a deer camp bar crawl. They literally went from one deer camp to the next deer camp to the next deer camp and just visited all their buddies, had a couple of beers at each place, and they spent the whole day inside because it was just too cold. Um, yeah, those are the days that it's just hard to stay in a stand.
2: Seriously. Garrett, now that you're kind of an old pro, for the first guy, for the guy that's taken his first out-of-state hunt this year, because there mm-hmm. will be people watching and listening – that are taking their first it's their first trip what are the what are the things that they need to be thinking about what are some pro tips for making it more affordable for making it more successful making it more enjoyable
5: yeah so i mean in terms of like you know comfort and affordability you got to do what you're comfortable with if you know that if you try and sleep in a camp and, and save some money you know, sleeping in your truck or in a tent. And if you're not going to be 100% because you're not getting a full night's sleep or whatever the case may be, maybe you're better off spending a few extra bucks, get a motel, get a good night's sleep, take a shower, that type of stuff. Um, But if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you can handle a little bit more uh, punishment, then go out and save a few extra bucks and, you know, have the full experience. But in terms of, at least for me, what seems to be the most helpful in terms of being successful is try and find somebody, if you can, who's already done something very similar try and learn as much as you can and from as many different people as you can, because you might learn something a little bit different from each one of them. Try and do as much uh, online scouting as you can. If you can, it definitely helps to take uh, a scouting trip. Um, and I know this time of year, it might not be feasible for a lot of people. Ideal case, you scout maybe the year before during the exact same time frame, like during the hunting season would be you know ideal case scenario. Um, but even if you're not able to get out there, then you can still have a lot of those, those spots prepped. But what seems like it's very helpful for me is if I am in a mindset going in where I, I know I have a lot of these high probability spots picked out, but I'm not necessarily glued to one uh, specific area and not necessarily glued to one specific plan. Um, there's something to be said about making a plan and sticking to it, but then you have to be able to know when to deviate from the plan and try something else. And that's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to know how and when to do that and and sometimes you just got to be okay and know that you might have some failures in order to learn and it might you know take a couple
2: of years before you really start feeling like you're figuring out at least it's been that way for me we we were talking about that earlier Andy about how I did the opposite of what you just recommended my first Colorado backcountry elk hunt I kind of knew that we should probably me and Andy were talking about how you were successful and I wasn't because I pro- I knew that we should probably change areas. There was an outfitter that came in on horseback. He was camped a half mile from us. We weren't seeing elk. We weren't hearing <laughs> elk. But we, we had a plan and we stuck to it. Whereas we should have just bit the bullet, packed our camp, hiked out, and gone to, a new, gone to a new area. So there's I can relate to that. So there's definitely something to be said for staying in the moment and letting the critters tell you what to do. And if they're not there you can't force them to be there.
0: Well, it's kind of an instinct thing too. I mean, you have to just go with your gut sometimes. And if you're not feeling it in a certain spot, you know, in the situation, you know, pop smoke and move, you know, I do that a lot of times. And, uh, you know, like Garrett said, you know, try to get as much Intel as you can before you go. You know, I even like to, you know, when I'm on, on X, I'm looking for places to park my truck even because I get stressed out about that. Like where am I going to park my truck? What am I going to do with, in, you know, in that situation? So, even down to that level, I mean, just try to get as much information as you possibly can. Um, when I did my Wyoming backcountry hunt, I was on several different forums and I would just reach out to anybody I could find that had done that hunt and just send them a message and be like, hey, what kind of tips could you give me? And you'd be surprised at the amount of info you could get. That actually paid off on that hunt too because, um, you know, we got ran out by a forest fire and actually. Had talked to a guy that I'd met. You know, I'd never met him before. Met him online, and I actually sent him a message during that hunt. And he gave us a couple other locations to go to. So it never hurts to re- to reach out to other people and just you know get as much info as you can.
5: Yeah, I'd, I'd say one one thing too to add is, especially if it's one of your first times doing that type of a trip, try and try and take as much time as you can. Uh, you know, if you maybe are planning on doing five days, but you could maybe make it seven or eight, yep. do everything you can to make it seven or eight, because yep. you might find that by day four or five, you're starting to get in the rhythm and starting to figure things out. And then you got to go back home. You, you said know? that about Missouri last
0: year. Exactly. I mean, if I, it, it came down to me not wanting to buy another tag so I could hunt the rifle season, but oh, I had, that's right. I had figured stuff out. And if I feel like if I could have stayed another day or two, I, I feel like I would have had success so that's
1: what happened to us in michigan last year yeah we we got rained out the first three days we finally got it figured out and then had it was over that is
0: true yeah yeah we were starting to figure that place out yep um yeah so give yourself more time if you if it's possible i mean with the work schedule and stuff it's hard but i mean all it takes is a couple extra days sometimes i mean you know especially on an out-of-state trip where you've never been there it you know it takes a couple days to get the feel of things and what's going on so you know more time is always better
2: well and i've talked about this before as well with a lot of people that i like to go and andy you said it earlier that you go and you spend the first couple days scouting granted you said you're doing it before the season two or three years ago when i went to illinois and even when last year when we went to missouri i didn't even hunt i could have legally it was during the season but i didn't even hunt the first few days because I felt like it's more valuable to understand the area than to dive right into, you know, maybe an average spot. Or maybe yeah. you're diving into a spot that is dynamite, but because I didn't kind of take a little bit extra time and figure it out, I, I screwed it up. Because I, I used the wrong access where yeah. I hunted it at the wrong time.
3: Especially if you have been there yet. yeah. If you haven't right. been there yet and you just show up, yeah, the, right. a couple days of scouting before you actually... Mm-hmm. So if it's like during the rut and deer kind of random movement, sure. That can pay off. I agree. Yeah. And and I've had people tell me I'm crazy because I, I
2: literally me and my brother we went two days before everybody got there, middle of the season, we could have hunted extra two days, but we didn't. We toured around on the bikes, covered a ton of ground, eliminated a lot of spots, and found some really awesome spots and it ended up paying off. Well John, you do that in Kansas. I always do that. Yeah. I never go pre scout any place. I uh, I always
4: blow off at least the first day and a half. Well, that's Last where I year got was the, the first idea. two days. <laughs> yeah. That's in I, your books. Yeah. I, I plan a seven day hunt, and the first day and a half, two days, I blow off. And I, I want to I have at least four or five or more locations prepped that are good. So, you know, a lot of guys will go out there and they'll scout, and first place they see that looks good. And because I'm from Michigan, everything would look good, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, when you set up the first place that looks good, you know there may be something a lot better maybe a hundred yards away bingo yeah and yeah. when we, you guys were talking about you know reacting to what's going on biggest buck i ever shot was under an 80 incher in iowa and i was hunting in a tree in the morning i planned on an all-day sit i had a decoy out and it just wasn't happening and i was seeing movement a couple hundred yards back farther closer closer to a river and i got down and moved and uh i didn't take the decoy with me i wrapped that up and left it there for my when i exited but i shot my 180 inch or just by reacting to what i visually seen because what i was doing was not working
0: that brings up my hunt last yeah. year in kentucky i went down there for the first time ever had never been there you know the first day or two my plan was to just drive around look at access go check a few spots out and not hunt until i found something that i liked mm-hmm. and Like you, you said reacting to a situation. I saw a buck cross the road driving in the second day, and that caused me to pull out my onyx, look at that spot, and be like, well, that makes kind of sense why he was going in there. He's going back in there to bed. He was just a tiny little strip of brush between crop fields, and I went in there that evening, and I killed him. So, you know, if I wouldn't have seen him cross the road, I would have just kept looking for spots until I found something. So just
3: got to react. what's been really helpful for me on out-of-state trips is I like to plan – like, I like to have plan A, B, C, and D. And what that does for me is when I go, if plan A doesn't, hmm. it, plan A doesn't pan out, I'm not in, like, panic mode. Like, where right. do I go next? Where yeah. do I park? Like Jared says, I like to know where I'm going to park. I like to have my accesses mapped out, um, all that stuff. It, it, even different pieces of, like, public and, and uh, different areas. I like to have plan A, which is, is the spot I have the most confidence in, maybe where I saw the most sign, the least amount of hunting pressure. Uh, maybe maybe I found some, some sheds in there or whatever. But this is plan A because it just seems like I have the most confidence in that. And then I have plan B. If plan A doesn't pan out and there's there's other hunters in there and it's just like there's the deer action's slow, I go to plan B. There's no there's no guessing, there's no let's figure this out, panic mode, let's wait, waste an afternoon. Figuring this out. I go right to plan B and if that doesn't pan out. I got plan C and plan D. we did that with our elk hunt um, We were never in a situation where we didn't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, this isn't it's not happening here We're going here. Yep. It's not happening here. We're going here now. We're in the elk. That's key. Yep. Yeah, yep. and if you when you have that you just you're not wasting time It's like you have the confidence like okay. We're this is where we're gonna go. All right. It's not here This is where we can go and if you if you got a, a decent amount of skill and, and you did some, some adequate scouting, one of those spots is going to pay off. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, most of our listeners and, and all of us here, we're experienced enough. Like, we know how to read sign. We know where, where some, how to get into some good hunting. But there's other factors that come into play, like hunting pressure and yeah. whatnot. So, you know, you just got to plan for that. And, and by having that planned out, it's, for, for us, it's been a huge, a huge impact in our success because we just don't have to waste that time trying to figure out the next step.
1: Well, and you know what I think is actually, um, by having that plan, it eliminates the commitment to an area, right? Especially on, like, a backpacking hunt, right? You'll, you might backpack in and set up camp, and you're like, man, it was so much work to get here. I got to stay here a <laughs> long time. <laughs> That's before. what
2: I did. Yep.
1: Whereas if you've got four plans, you're like, all right, I, I don't feel scared to move because I have a plan. But if you don't have a plan yep. – you're more likely going to stick it out in that area that's just not producing for a longer amount of time. Yeah. So that backup plan eliminates some of the fear and adds confidence in, okay, yeah, we can. it's going to suck. We're going to have to pack up camp and hike out of here, but I'm really excited to go see plan B. Yeah. I agree. So that helps a ton.
2: The uh, other thing that it, that it does is when I go somewhere, you know, you said A, B, C, D is the plans you listed. That's pretty much exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for three to five Spots that are like, they look so good, I want to climb a tree and sit there all day right now. Yeah. I don't want to leave. I'm looking for three to five places that are just blow your mind good. And if I find three to five of those, I guarantee you I'm going to find five to ten that are like, hey, this is pretty good too. Mm-hmm. And so now I've got this bank of 10 to 15 spots that I can bounce around based on, you know, wind. What's pressure or, yeah. hey, I saw that buck over there, you know, crossing this road chasing a doe. I bet he's going down to that thick spot over there that I scouted two days ago. I'm going to go set up there. So I think it's really valuable to do that.
4: I think yeah. it's another interesting thing if, for guys looking to go out, go out of state. If you're going to go out of state, look for property that has maybe 70 to 80% ag and 20 to 30% timber because once the crops are down, if anybody's going out during rut phases, crops are all going to be down, whether it be Milo out west or corn, you know, corn in Ohio or Illinois or, you know, Kansas or whatever. Once crops are down, the deer are a lot more congested. I think that's a mistake a lot of guys look, do, is they go and they want to go to big timber areas where there's oaks all over the place, there's mast everywhere and deer tend to wander. It's hard to find destination locations. So if you can, Find areas, and the best way to look for areas like that is find creek beds. You know, you find creek beds on public land going through, you know, small timber areas on public land, and it's surrounded by private crop fields. And once crops are picked, man, the the deer just are congested in those spots, and it's just so much easier to hunt on a short-term hunt. Now, if you got all season to hunt there, if you're a resident, obviously you can pinpoint something eventually, but on a short-term hunt, you want to hunt as congested a traffic as possible.
1: Makes sense. I mean, the creek beds aren't tillable, right? right? So they're going to be little uh, funnels through different and places. And they always
4: have security cover along them because yep. it's damp. You know, yeah, they always that, have weeds I, or brush.
5: When you, when you mentioned that a few weeks ago, um, I heard that you say that same thing, and I looked at the waypoints that I had been pre scouting for South Dakota. And I noticed, you know, the pattern that I had picked was that a lot of those areas I did have, there were a lot of drainages that were pretty wooded, and it, you could find spots within a spot, but it was a little bit more challenging than if you would just shift, you know, five miles over, and now you just got
4: narrow creeks between yeah. some of those, and it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, because in Kansas, there's lots of areas where we hunt where it's just draws. You know, there are thousands and thousands of year old draws, and you'll be looking across the countryside. I remember when Brian and I went there the first time, we're like, how in the hell do you hunt here? Because we're in western <laughs> Kansas where it's plainsy. And you'll see the tips of some trees uh, three-quarters of a mile away across a field. And you go out there, and they're 100-foot-tall cottonwoods down in these old floodplains draws. And they're full of hemp and weeds and plum brush. That, I mean, and they're just they're just awesome transitions, transition routes. That's where all the deer bed when the crops are down, and they just transition up and through there. Bucks do looking for does and you know they may be 100 yards wide in one spot and 200 yards wide they they just kind of meander through the countryside and it's just so simple that way <laughs> I hate to say it it's just so simple and we're going to Kansas this year but if I, as far as uh hunting out of state we always go during Michigan's gun season because I don't gun hunt and uh but other than that I suffer with everybody in Michigan I because I write about pressure deer and Uh, speak about it, and it got a YouTube channel, Eberhardt Outdoors, which just started, Uh, and that's going to pretty much be about hunting pressure deer. I suffer with all the other Michiganders until (laughs) gun season. I think
2: think it's a great point that you said it makes it more simple. So if you're – we kind of started talking about this for the guy that's going on his first trip. So he's probably living in Alabama or – Georgia or Michigan and he's going some, <laughs> some he's going he's leaving somewhere that's hard to hunt. He's going out of state to somewhere that is easier to hunt. Yes. And you know that scale is very very it's extremely varied, the easy mm-hmm. to hard hunt yeah, scale. True. Everyone has a different opinion, but you're going somewhere that's easier to hunt yeah. on mm-hmm. some scale. And I couldn't agree more. Try to look for no-brainer spots because, yep, and I do that, I, I killed my buck in Missouri last year in a no-brainer spot. Yep. Any idiot in the world could have picked it on out on a map. However, the difference is, you know, in Georgia, Michigan, name the state that's hard to hunt, the deer don't always act like deer. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a no-brainer transition zone. you got a weed field going through crop fields. Any idiot can look at it and go, oh, I bet the deer's going to walk down that brushy row. Well, in Georgia, they might not do that because they're so skittish, but in states like Kansas and Illinois and some of these other, they do that. They Mm -hmm. act like normal deer. Well, what you did on that hunt, though, last year,
4: you showed me where you were at, and I thought that was kind of unique because there was a bedding area, crop fields over here, and there was pretty much, you said, open timber in between. Yeah. And you actually hunted over on the one side of that where there was also some security cover from the bedding area to that creek bottom, that ditch so that was a place where to me a buck would transition through that security cover and then take that ditch line down to those crop fields as opposed to opening going through that open timber and being vulnerable yeah so i in in my opinion that was an over and then the way you entered it made all the
2: difference in the world yeah i agree creative access is is one of my keys Mm -hmm. something that i look for all the time i've talked about that a lot if there is water and i learned this from your books i mean if there is water If there is uh, a canyon, something that – if there's really thick brush, briars, that will weed out 80% of your people right there. And even if it's kind of an uh, uh, easy-to-get-to spot as far as like distance-wise, but if there's some sort of impediment like a river, a lot of people won't go there. And if you're willing to take creative access, maybe walk the long way around or put on your chest waders or get wet. And we talked about that in North Dakota. Maybe I just have to get wet crossing the river. Uh, I guess it won't matter in early season. But if you're willing to look for those overlooked spots uh, or hard to access spots because of an impediment sometimes, you can have a a honey hole in something like that. We hear that all the time.
1: I mean, infault hunts wet all the time. Yeah, he does. I mean, he he – goes over his boot tops he's up to his waist he's never dry yeah he's just always wet you know (laughs) and he does it when it's cold too crushing through the ice whatever he'll just sit up there and shiver when he's wet yeah okay (laughs) we have a (laughs) visitor. okay that was interesting stripper just came in yeah
2: Uh, I think we've we've got Big Adrian Wilson here, who is I think he's maybe had one too many to drink. <laughs> he's acting a little insane right now, uh, I think but he's coming down here to give us some junk because his daughter struck us all out in the fast pitch. Oh yeah, well she I I took her yard I took a ten year old yard in, in softball so I feel pretty good about <laughs> myself right now. No <laughs> uh, you know what we've been talking for an hour here since. Probably actually a good time to kind of sum it up, so we could probably go around and maybe give last little tips about you know whatever you want to say. You said you had a new, uh, new YouTube channel coming out. I'm pretty excited about that. Just You've got a lot of information. F- yep,
4: just posted the first one, and I got about 30 shows to post. But I got a bunch more that I'm going to film, and it's uh, it's primarily going to be about bow hunting whitetails, but there's going to be fishing on it. It's uh, it's going to be more a lot a lot of different stuff. But the first year, it's probably going to focus <clears> on. <throat> Bow hunting, scouting, prepping locations, gear, um, stuff that you're not going to see on any other YouTube shows I've ever seen before, anyway. It's just going to be different. Nope, there's not going to be any hunts on it that are just edited, you know, kills. It's just going to be all pretty much instructional stuff. That's cool. Yeah. And, and what's it? You said Eber, Eberhardt's Outdoors. Okay,
2: cool. My two boys are involved in it as well. So. Cool. Cool. That'll be you good. Know. Garrett, any last parting thoughts? Uh, One I know one thing
5: that's helped me a lot, and I don't know if we've mentioned it, you know, really so far is one trap that has been really easy for me to fall in is having historical success in a spot, and then having that influence how you're going to hunt, as opposed to just trusting the sign. Uh, And it usually happens if I have not been diligent with my in-season scouting. Uh, Maybe I haven't been able to hunt for seven, eight days, and I have a free afternoon. And I say, well, I don't know exactly what's going on right now, but I've had success in this spot before, and I'll just I'll just go back there and on it, even if the sign doesn't look that great. When in reality, I I should be you know be more diligent and just kind of reading the sign and making the best play for that given day. Um, so that's that'd be my
2: parting thought. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty good. valuable. Where can people learn more about DIY Sportsman?
5: Uh, either on YouTube, DIY Sportsman. Uh, podcast i have a diy sportsman podcast that's part of the sportsman's nation podcast network uh the vitals live platform um john's on that as well Um, live webinars that i'll I'll do some content and instagram facebook all the social media
2: stuff cool ernie final thoughts
1: yeah i mean it's been fun to listen to everybody's uh everybody's kind of plan of attack and game plan for an out-of-state hunt because We've all done them, and not necessarily together. a lot of us have done them on our own and kind of had to learn and, and attack it so um, yeah, it's just been great to hear and every time I sit in one of these little forums, I probably learn as much as the people yeah, me too. in the uh, yeah. audience so it's it's really a cool experience for that Jared anything
0: No, I mean, it's just awesome sitting here talking with all these guys I mean, been hanging out with them all weekend, and you know always learn something from. You know everybody here so it's just been really good to to get together and uh you know talk strategy and new gear which there's a lot of new gear coming so you should be excited yeah this has yeah. been a fun weekend yeah super fun. this has been
3: a fun weekend
0: yeah i was gonna say
3: the same thing the gear uh, coming down the pipe is is pretty exciting everybody at this table i've learned a lot from whether it's from you know gear hunting strategy um you know uh, we're all friends but i watch all of your content um religiously and you know, i learned something new all the time so i'm just thankful to be part of it i've had a lot of fun um and hopefully uh you know we all have some good luck this fall hopefully the listeners yeah. do too so Absolutely.
2: yeah yeah, yeah i learned that i'm going to iowa this year even if because i'm going to pull a tag next year
0: <laughs> yeah we should. and both you said that
2: you go yeah we're both going to go hunt iowa next year and you said that you go every year even if you're not hunting and that's a freaking great idea so I think I should probably go this year, even if it's for a weekend. I mean, I can yeah, cover a yeah. lot of ground on a Saturday and a Sunday. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. and and I think I'm going to do that and start getting boots on the ground. And then it'll just be easier when you give me your waypoints and stuff from Hives. <laughs> I, I have to throw something. I'll have a leg up then. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Here comes John with the Kansas invitation. No, 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 no. Yeah, kudos
4: <laughs> to Val, Ernie's wife. Val Absolutely. is a phenomenal cook. I can't believe he doesn't weigh three hundred pounds. No. <laughs> she is the best. Yes, man, so, she is awesome cook, and she's been awesome at this. It's cook. It's
1: been really fun, right? So this is our our chance to kind of thank everybody involved in Tethered. We do a. I call it a family picnic because truly everybody is family, and so everybody's in town for a couple of days, and this gives us a chance to look at some new gear, to look at some new ideas, have a couple of drinks, play, shoot some bows, and just kind of just get everybody primed and ready for the season that's up and coming. And, uh, yes, John's right. My wife does most of the stuff for this event, and it's perfect. It is. It is. It's is. a
2: great event. And I, I wish we had – 10 microphones because we have killers here yeah. uh, that that could have sat down and made this conversation any better or even better rather but we don't have enough mics everyone here but Adrian is a good hunter he's, <laughs> he, he, he's over there just, Carl too yeah Carl yeah. Carl yeah He's over there. He's over there, mean mugging behind the camera. So, uh, yeah, I wish we had four more mics to have everybody down here. Um, Ernie kind of nailed it, man. This is really more of like a thank you to everyone, and um, it's pretty cool. Thank you all for for I coming. I want to thank you guys for something too because this
4: saddle thing, this is designed to make you guys more successful hunters, and these guys are really working hard at it. They're tweaking everything. They're making the best products available. And, uh, man, I want to thank you guys for doing that. I've been in the saddle thing for a long, long time, and you guys have taken it to a whole other level.
2: Well, it's a labor of love. You know, yeah. some some guys are killers, like yeah. Andy and Jared, and Jared happens to be a gear guy too. But, like, you guys are really good at killing stuff. Ernie and I, like, I'm ki- we're kind of good at killing stuff, but <laughs> – we're really good at gear stuff, and yeah. that's kind of like our niche, and so we love it. That's what we think about all the time, and we're constantly and, tweaking. And, and, and a yeah, good guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> time, yeah. I mean, the whole team that we have, they all have their strengths, and, yeah. and you know, Andy's always going to be a better hunter than me, but I'm probably always going to be better at, at dealing with gear. You know, it's mm-hmm. just we di- everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So we have a team here that is just yeah. freaking yeah. awesome. And yeah. awesome. everybody brings something to the table. And when you do that and you come up with a really awesome yeah. team and a product, but you and know what the products, is?
1: just like you said, I have never claimed to be a big killer. I've gotten lucky. I've killed a few things here and there. But I have no choice but to get better yeah. every time I sit in a room. With now you. we get better because <laughs> yeah, exactly. we learn things from the really good killers. Yeah, I mean, we surround ourselves with people who are better at this than we are, and so it's kind of a uh, self-serving thing, right? So every time you guys come here. It's
2: because I want to learn. So. Yeah. It's kind of like how we started the company. Yeah. We wanted the gear. We were totally selfish. Yeah, yeah. We, wanted we wanted the gear, gear that we saddles. wanted, and we couldn't afford it, so we had to sell it to all of you people <laughs> and so we could get our stuff. It was totally selfish. So. <laughs> so now we just surround ourselves with the best hunters, and it's awesome. So anyway, we're rambling now. But, uh, yeah, thanks for, for watching. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next Tethered Podcast, and you can find us all on Tethered Nation on pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whatever. And then follow all these guys as well, Hunt Appalachia. Andy doesn't have a YouTube channel, but he's on every podcast in the world because everybody (laughs) wants to hear what he has to say because he's a killer. So follow Hunt Appalachia, that's Jared's channel, and listen to all of Andy May's podcasts and follow John by his books and then go watch everything that Garrett does and listen to his podcasts. You guys will be better hunters for it.